Well, welcome again. It's great to see you today. If uh, you are online, I just want to remind you to take a moment or two to fill out the Connect card, letting us know that you're here and uh, allowing us the opportunity uh, to come alongside you in this journey in the way of Jesus. At Ipsy Free, as you've already heard, and we just want to continue to reinforce, we love God, love all people, and follow Jesus together as we gather as we grow in him and we go for him into the world. Hey, I just want to share with you a couple more ways that I have seen God uh, being lived out by loving God and loving all people. One of the ways was about a week ago, a week from yesterday, was a group of people who came and worked on and around the church, and we appreciate that work that they do, taking care of our property, and grounds, and it's just not taking care of our property and grounds. It's taking care of our property and grounds so that we can use it. Uh, not only can we use it, but also people in our community can use it. And uh, I just want to again thank uh, our team that came out and those who keep oversight on it, uh, on our properties, because it allows us to use it um, continuously. I also uh, want to thank you for your prayers and your generosity in both giving um, to the mission and for the food supplies of the community meal and story. Um, I just want to let you know that last week around our table, we had, I thought, uh, just a great conversation. And it was with uh, individuals who, um, uh, I think through the pandemic and their online continuous working environment, have come to know and value in-person community, and they come to community and meal and a story for that. And so when you contribute to that, you allow that to happen for people that may not have means otherwise, or they're just looking for community. And I just want to let you know that that's, that's huge, because that is, that is, that's the image bearer of God for us to be in community with one another, in relationship with one another. Thank you for doing that. Well, this morning, I'm not going to have you stand, but I want to read from a couple of passages in Hosea, Hosea 7, uh, 8 through 11 first, and then uh, Hosea 12, 1. So if you have it, you can read it there uh, in your Bible, or you can watch or read along the screen. Hosea 7, verses 8 through 11, Ephraim mixes with nations Ephraim, uh, let me just point this out. We talk about it as Israel. It is synonymous in scripture for, and Hosea uses Ephraim instead. Ephraim is a flat loaf, not turned over. Foreigners sap his strength, but he does not realize it. His hair is sprinkled with gray, but he does not notice. Verse 10, Israel's arrogance testifies against him, but despite all this, he does not return to the Lord his God or search for him. Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless, now calling to Egypt, now turning to Assyria. If you turn over to chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, the people of Israel fed on the wind. They chase after the east wind all day long. They pile up lies and violence. They are making an alliance with Assyria while sending olive oil to buy support from Egypt. Well, we are in week five in their message series, Pursued. 
God's holy love for you, for the world. What we find is a holy God who loves his people. Yet in his love for them, we have discovered he cannot allow sin to let rampant. He can't let it grow. Uh, He does not want his people to go the path of least resistance. Uh, The path of least resistance does not lead to life now or forever. Yet they have this idea that God has shortchanged them and so they worship other gods. Literally, they worshiped other gods. Baal, we talked about that last week. And the other gods of other nations. And this is the reason they do this. And this is the reason we tend to worship other things. We are wired from the very beginning to worship it's, a, it's, a, it's an innate, God-given thing that we have within us. And so whatever it is that you worship, it comes naturally. But your worship was to be to God and God only. He designed us to worship him and him alone. It's, it can be our, our greatest joy if we're worshiping God If we're not worshiping God, it can be our greatest downfall and it can be our greatest destruction personally. What we can find, though, is looking around us, we worship a multitude of man-made things and those things are more encapsulated these days, I think, in ideologies. Things that we think are true to the biblical narrative, maybe we adopt them in, or they're just not. But they're ideologies instead of what God has written in Scripture. And when we construct, our, when, when, uh, when we are tempted to construct our worship about something that is not infinite, not, the, not ongoing, we then have this deficit in our very beings. So if you worship golf, or you worship baseball, or you worship something that is, that's going to expire eventually. It will die. Your heart knows this. And what happens to many of us is we realize, oh, that hobby that we worshiped and did for so long, I can't do it the rest of my life. And so we start to shift. We start to make subtle shifts in our lives. And it's almost as if we have this, this vitamin deficiency within us. I mean, it's kind of an interesting thought, right? If we don't worship the God who gives us all the vitamins, all the healthy food we need, we're going to seek other things. Now, the interesting thing with creating alliances with other things is they're not fulfilling. Did you know that there is, uh, uh, that dirt is a great thing? I mean, dirt to grow in is a great thing, but it's not intended to be eaten, Maybe you didn't know that. Uh, if that's a part of your diet, I'm just here to tell you, uh, let, me, let me introduce you to vegetables that are grown in dirt uh, and uh, not eating dirt. But this is the crazy thing. I did a little research, right? Little kids, if you've had little kids, they make mud pies and mud cakes, and every once in a while, somebody says, hey, why don't you try that? And so somebody sticks a mouthful of mud or dirt in their mouth and realizes pretty quick that that's not the most, uh, most that's not the greatest thing to eat but the crazy thing is when we create other things around us to, 
the ideologies and we worship other things, we start to create alliances with things that are unhealthy for us. There are, in other parts of the globe, I don't know if it happens so much in America as I understand, people who eat dirt because they're, they literally have a vitamin deficiency. Now, we've heard this in other, way, other places. Sometimes it's called pica when people eat things that are not good for them, right? I think that's a generic term. But WebMD states that there are, there are pregnant women in certain parts of our globe who eat dirt because of nut nutritional deficits in their diet. Yeah, that's right. You, you should kind of go, oh, really? We need to cure this issue. But there's a huge caution in doing so because it doesn't have the nutritional benefits that our bodies need, that are created for. So when we worship anything other than God, we then we then have this nutritional deficit that we supplement with alliances with other things around us, with other things around us. So this is one way to say it. When, we, when worship is not devoted to God, we can be tempted to create alliances with other nations as, as Israel did with Egypt and Assyria, which came in and decimated them, by the way, in the end. And that's oftentimes what happens for only what God promised to provide. When you put something else in the place of God, you're creating an alliance on it. Not only are you worshiping it, but you're creating an alliance on it. Now, I just want to bring a clarity to this word nations. I put it in quotes because for Israel, it literally was a nation, but we often speak about it, it equals culture. It can be translated into this word culture but the biblical understanding is, wor is world. And we'll get into that a little bit in a few moments. But Exodus 34, 10 through 12 says this, Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before known, done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what command I give you today, and I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. A lot of ites, right? This is the last word in that passage of Scripture in Exodus 34. Be careful not to make treaty or alliances with those who live in the land where you are going. They will be a snare to you. God knew that when Israel would take their eyes off from God, that they would not only worship other gods of the nation, but they would rely on them for financial security, for military strength, for other things that God said, I will take care of you. And it is our great temptation to do exactly that. We do it in small, subtle ways. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Kathy's asking, like what? Let me answer it. So let me, let me tell you how we practically do it. So how many, how many of you are tired this morning? Right? Okay. For some of us who are kind of like, whoa, it's a little groggy, we may grab, we, we move from the second cup of coffee uh, to the third or fourth cup of coffee. Anybody there this morning? I'm raising my hand, by the way. I am there. It was a very early morning taking, you know, very early morning taking my daughter and her husband to the airport. Great to do. But maybe it's not coffee for you. For my dad, we would get in the truck. He would get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, sleep deprived all his life. <laughs> he would get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, drive to, into Detroit to sell and buy 
to be able to take it back to our, to our, fan, our business. Well, this young man who became an older man, he would eat anything to stay awake. Now, he did, yep, he would often eat carrots, sometimes on the healthier side, but I saw him when he wasn't doing the healthier side of things. He would just literally eat anything because he needed the sugar to keep him awake. How many of you like energy drinks? Yeah, okay. Oh, wow, okay. There are some people here that I didn't think would like. All right. <laughs> you got your Red Bull, right, or, or whatever it is. Very same thing. It, you're relying on, you have an alliance with something that's going to, supposed to help you stay awake or stay alert where maybe your body is telling you something different. You need a rest, you need to take a break, uh, whatever it is, right? So the other one that's probably pretty common is just being healthy. You go to the doctor and they say, you know, uh, Steve, you could, you could lose a few pounds and you might want to try exercising occasionally, <laughs> right? And let's say for for hypothetical, it truly is hypothetical at this point, and I pray it stays that way, that the doctor says, look, if you don't lose a few more pounds, you're going to have to take, uh, take meds for the, the hypertension you got going. And I go, yeah, give me the meds. Well, some of us do have that kind of alliance that we have created. We know the right thing to do, but we choose to do the wrong thing. We choose to do the thing that is less healthy for us. Now, some of us can't control that. I'm not saying that. But we, we have developed a pattern of living that is radically unhealthy. I mean, at the very root, when I say radical, I don't mean crazy. I mean at the very root level. When we're tired, we go, I can't be tired right now. I have to alter that state. And your body is telling you something. That is a, can I just tell you, that would be the thing of the world. That's what the world is telling you. Jesus isn't telling you to do those things. The world is. Something in your mind, something around you, the pressures around you are telling you to substantiate what you want to continue that may be unhealthy. Jesus says this in first, or not Jesus, John says this and wrote this in 1 John 2, 15 through 16. He said, do not love the world or anything in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. He's cautioning us. Uh, those, those illustrations I give are, uh, gave are probably on the lighter side. They have a detrimental effect to us, but they're on the lighter side. He says, look, do not love the world or anything in the world. How, how many of you find that hard to do? Just be honest. It's hard. I mean, really. Uh, you know, uh, it's hard not to think if you're close to retirement, wouldn't it be nice to just be in perpetual retirement, whatever we've created in our minds, by the way, because it usually doesn't always work out the way we think, right? We have these things that, ideologies that have been sold or told to us about things, and they come from a place that sometimes we don't reckon with, we don't deal with clearly. And that's what I really want to get to 
here because I think Hosea was trying to get their attention. You know, Hosea marries Gomer out of this radical love that God has for his people to demonstrate his radical love. And he wants us to understand what's happening here. I like how uh, John Mark Comer talks about the world. And we're going to get into a greater understanding of this term world, but we're growing in it. The world is a system of ideas, values, practices, and social norms that are institutionalized into a culture organized around twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. We're going to get into that in a moment, just briefly. But we understand world, even in the biblical sense, in three different ways. Three different ways. The world talks about a physical realm, right? The, the globe, the cosmos, which is a good image, right? World, in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he's talking about what? People. He's talking, he loves the people. And thirdly, this is the other biblical, and this is what, John, that's what John's talking about and what Jesus talks about in other passages, that that which is opposed to the God's design and desire for mankind. It is part of the destructive order that he's talking about. That's what we're talking about. So where does this, this, this world emanate from? Where does it come from? Where do these thoughts and ideas, because that's where they come from. Where do they come from? Well, it comes from the devil. It comes from the devil. Devil is the perpetuator of lies to your heart, to your mind, and your soul. And sometimes they're very difficult to distinguish when you're being sold a lie. Ask Adam and Eve, right? I mean, that's exactly what transpired in the garden. It wasn't that, that, that the devil said, here, eat this apple. What did the devil do? The devil captured this idea, this idea of trying to, trying to move people into this idea of being like God. That's our rebellion. And then he begins to sell the idea, hey, did he really say? Is that really true? It is a pure redefinition of what is good and evil right there. And that is constantly being brought before us. We could talk about some current cultural moments Headlines on this last week, even redefinition of what is good or evil. We could talk for weeks on this topic, but it happens. Jesus says this about, about the thief who comes in to steal. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He truly is the one who will be saved. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and they have it to the full. So he's saying the evil one, the Satan, the accuser or the devil as we know him, comes in to steal and destroy. And it's all through this idea of capturing our rebellion against God and we go, you may be sitting here going, I, I don't have a rebellion against God. Oh, oh, see, this is, this is what's being transformed within us is that we're we're moving towards greater maturity in Christ, and yes, that reduction of that rebellion of God is being, is being pressed out of us by the Holy Spirit, but it's still there. Or you wouldn't, I wouldn't grab for a coffee in the morning to wake me up, 
false advertising. It is a lie. doesn't help me. I still do it. My confession before you right now. And then it's the redefinition of this good and evil that's transpiring. It is a crazy, crazy thought that it's by ideas and thoughts and values that the evil one introduces to you and to I to alter our, our thought about a holy God and our thought about what is good and evil. But that is his main means of, dece- of moving us to wrong thoughts and ideas. It's all through, or largely through ideas. We could take up Job's little case, and that may not be, may not be the case. So the devil's primary strategy of ruining the human soul and society is deceptive ideas that play into our disordered desires in a sinful society. Now, when we talk about disordered desires, what we're talking about is there are some good God-placed desires within us. There are places in which there's to be exercised and there are places they are not to be exercised. But what happens is they become distorted in our culture, in our world, and sinful society continues to perpetuate them. But it's all through, this, all through this, the ideas that come to us. Satan did not, tr- did not touch Eve, nor did just continue to mo- move the mind to things that would then become more like possession, prestige, and power. We talked about that last week. It moves us towards these places that we're in charge, that we have power, we have provision, that we can take care of ourselves. God's supposed to be the provider of all that stuff. And it twists that to another area of, of distortion. Patrick Deenan states this using the word culture instead of world, but it's an apt word for Israel of the time and during Hosea's time, and I believe because it's been written uh, here today, uh, it's this word. In this world, gratitude to the past and obligations to the future are replaced replaced by nearly universal pursuit of immediate gratification. Take that in for a second. In a world, gratitude to the past and obligations to the future are replaced nearly universally, uh, nearly universal pursuit of immediate gratification. Culture, rather than imparting the wisdom and experience of the past so as to create virtues of self-restraint and civility becomes synonymous with hedonic titillation, visceral crudeness, and distraction all oriented toward promoting self-consumption, appetite, and detachment. It's a lot of big words, but ultimately what Deenan is saying here is that we are, if we're not careful, we become part of the culture that is about self-promotion. The self, I gotta take care of the self and I have to feed the self, I have to, you know, all of these things. And he's saying that those lead us away from the truth of who we are in God and our identity in Jesus himself. Now, the crazy thing is if you were to bring up some of these areas that were 50 years ago, let's travel back 50 years if you can. If you can't, that's okay. Travel back as far as you can. 50 years ago, and you were to talk about something in culture, in the world, that uh, was was a norm. It was not accepted. Now think about it, you have something in your mind, right? 
and it wasn't accepted. But now it is. There's, a, there's been a change, there's been a distorted. Some of it's been for good and some of it not so for good. The devaluing of human life, period, is never good. Never good. We can get into a lot of different quagmires on that, I'm sure, but Jesus gives life. He is a life giver. He desires that his followers be of the same mind, the same heart, and the same desire. But if you were to bring this up to somebody, a, there's, they, they would blame shift. I mean, if there's something that you would say, look, this doesn't work, this doesn't fit, there's this idea, well, I didn't do it, just like in, you know, just like in the garden, you know? I mean, it started there. Adam and Eve just shifted it away. And we have the tendency to do the same thing. That's where I'm going. It's like, well, hey, you shouldn't have said that. Well, but they shouldn't have said this. It's like, whoa. At what point do we start to accept the reality that, that, that guilt is a good thing? It's not a bad thing. That when we're in the wrong, it's okay to say, I was wrong and I need to apologize and we need to have forgiveness. So, Again, I'm going, to make, I'm going to run to a simple one, probably because it's easier for me today. I love ice cream. I just love ice cream. Uh, and every once in a while, when I'm in the mood to have ice cream, I'll say, hey, Kathy, you want some ice cream? And she'll look at me, and uh, sometimes there's a yes, and sometimes there's like, well, sh- do you think we should, right? I mean, how many days in a row can you eat ice cream? <laughs> I say every day. You get it. I'm looking, I'm looking for somebody to join me. See how this, how this works? I, I know in my head before I even ask, like, uh, the meal was sufficient that I had. Uh, I'm full, but oh, I just want to take it up one more notch. I just want to have something else. And so I invite other people to join me to validate what I desire when I know in my head, in my heart, it potentially is wrong. Community can be a good thing, but we're often into this, and this is, this is the bottom line, is that, that we're constantly self-deceiving ourselves about the truth. We, we are in this, we're in this process of, of having ideas changed and moved and moved around, and if we're not careful, if we're not being examined by the Holy Spirit, if the scriptures aren't being revealed to us in a powerful way to kind of peel away some of that dross, if community is not able to tell me the truth, then I can live in this, this air of self-deception of my, my bad choices, my sinful choices. That's exactly what happened to Israel. I believe that this is the route that, that it transpires. They were worshiping God. They had everything that they needed. God was good to them. And, then be, and the, just as he said, do not forgive me when everything's going good. You have everything you need. You have military. You have, the, you have my protection when it comes to military. You have all the food you need. Don't forget me. And what they do is they go, okay, we won't. Just as we do. And they began to look around and they realized, wait a second, they, have, they do that over there differently than we do that here. 
and they began to then adopt the worship of the other gods and the cultures and the worlds around them. And then because, because they realized potentially this, the evil and the redefinition of good, they began to then adopt military strength and alliances with the world around them and it became their downfall. In fact, uh, soon after Hosea, or after Hosea's been written, he projects, and we read this in there, that they will be, they will be uh, uh, you know, the, the country and the whole world, that for them will be annihilated. There will be a remnant that will be left, and we'll read that here in a second. But we must learn to trust Jesus with every part of our very being. And when we do, we need to learn that there is a world out there that wishes to deceive us to the truth of who God is and what he desires to be. Now, our desire is to live for him. I believe that if you're here this morning, you desire to live for him just as I do. And so it becomes vastly important that we help one another in this process in the world in which we live. The good thing is that God continues to pursue us. In, Hebrew, in Hosea 11, B through 10, he says, my heart is changed within me. He's talking about Israel. All my compassion is aroused toward them, even though they're bent in a way that's away from me, that they've made, they worship other gods, they, they have alliances because of lies they have come to believe, because ideas have been planted in their heads, He says, I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God. I'm not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. A New Testament passage that I I think is very appropriate to uh, to us this morning is Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we got ourselves clean up, but in the process, he died for us to redeem us, to rescue us from the thief who wishes to destroy us. So how do we keep How do we evaluate these thoughts, these ideas that come to us? I think that there are a few practices that will help us. Number one is silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. We see this often where Jesus pulled away and he prayed and was by himself with the Father. And I think that we often are consumed with culture, whatever that means. Uh, Our news feeds, our social media feeds, our constant barrage of just even noise. And we are not capturing, if you will, what God is trying to say to us. So we need to step away from the world, if you will, maybe for an hour, and maybe for a half a day, it may be for a full day or a couple of days where we step away and then the Lord is able to, to, to bring clarity to the confusion that often is in our hearts. The, last one, or this, the next one is a new one that I just want to introduce to you. Silence and solitude, we've talked about this a few times, but a thought audit, a thought audit. Now, where do we get this idea from? Uh, It's from Paul's writings. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. 
On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That is what we're doing in a thought audit. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Submitting our thoughts to God. Now, how do we do this? Well, I've given, uh, I've, I've created a, a thought audit sheet that's back there in the welcome area. When you leave, you can grab one. But it really is this, taking the time, it's much like silence and solitude, but we're going to think about where our, our thoughts come from, where our ideas are coming from, and take an audit on them. Are they telling us the truth? Are they lying? Is, what, what do we discern from them? So idea, identify where your ideas come, recognize what your ideas are, and then put them down. I mean, just really start to create this grid, if you will, on paper and in your mind where you can analyze the thoughts. The best way to practice this, can I just tell you, is within community, where you're able to sit down and walk through this and then submit your thoughts or your ideas to the community and say, hey, these are what's, what's been passing in front of me. This is what's been happening to me. The other part of that thought audit is just the idea of taking a media break. Because oftentimes what's being, if you're anything like me, and I was telling Kathy this week, if you're anything like me, I love, I mean, I like more knowledge, which knowledge, Scripture says, puffs up. I like to know things, uh, you know, whether it's news headlines or small little uh, you know, small information pieces that just kind of are intriguing to me. But I'm, I like to take in all of, that, all of that information. And part of it is just to have the knowledge. But we sometimes need to take a break so that God can capture our hearts and our minds and our souls and bring us back. You can pick that up as you leave today if, if you're interested in doing that. And one last thing that I can tell you is a great way to remind ourselves and try to capture the ideas and thoughts that come before us so we do not create alliances, so we're constantly questioning and buffeting the alliances that potentially want to make themselves with us. And that is just to be in church on a regular basis. This place and space is one of those places where you remind yourself that God is God and that you are not, and that he is have dominion over every aspect of your life, your mind, your heart, and your soul. It's, it's said that those who attend on a regular basis are less likely to fade away from the faith. I believe that is true. I've seen it in my own ministry where people are like, I don't need to be with other people. It's not as necessary. I'm good with God, and he's good with me. But what happens is there's this fade from the faith. It's slow and subtle, and the ideas of the world have a, has a potential to sneak in and rearrange the truth that you did know at one time to make it something different and mean something totally different than it does. And so as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to have one another helping us in the process so we are not creating, not only are we not worshiping other gods, but we're not creating alliances that have the ability to be detrimental to our soul's development over the long period. I know this is a little bit longer than normal, and 
but I really believe that the ideas that we get in our heads are, are the way that the evil one can twist them if we hold on to them and their faults, their lies. But it's one of those places we need to capture as people of God in a day and age of continual barrage of information that's coming at us. And I get it. In this day and age, it's hard to know sometimes the truth over the lies. But as brothers and sisters together, we can help one another to discern those truths. So as we're closing, I did have a couple of questions that I put at the bottom of the outline notes. In what ways am I creating alliances with the world? You can walk away from here and kind of start to do that, even if you don't grab the thought audit page. You can say, how am I doing this? What do I believe that is true from the world that God says is not true? I mean, it's absolutely antithetical to the Bible. Where have I bought into the rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil? It follows the same thought. What have I redefined in my own eyes? What have I started to create and make and believe that the Bible doesn't say is true? And there are probably many places that we have done that. So as we close, I want to let you know that I believe the Spirit speaks. Pray for it, we invite it. So what is he saying to you right now? What is he, not what did I say, but what is he saying to you right now? And that really, that bottom line, what alliances have you created with the world around you that are greater, uh, that, that are with the world? And this is the other part of it that we need to understand from Hosea and from the whole book of Hosea. Just as we serve a God who pursues us, we need to be a people who pursue others with the same holy love that he pursues us with. That that's our call. It's not just to stay safe in our, in our bubble of with God, but it's our, our desire to pursue him. And if nothing else, that that helps me to kind of go, oh, I need to get a greater grasp on what thoughts are captivating me that may be ungodly, unholy, and that can create unholy alliances with my heart, my mind, and my soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you. You always tell us the truth. You will never tell us a lie. And yet, Father, we live in a world in which uh, we may call it misinformation is perpetual and our propensity to adopt thoughts and have them change our behavior and even our love for you is ripe. Yet, Father, we believe what Scripture says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so, Father, I ask, even in these moments as we're thinking about, we're thinking about the thoughts that have come across our mind in the last week. We're thinking about those conversations we've had, what we've read, even what we've watched that are altering the very purity of your word, and the nature of what we, how we're created, I pray that you will help us to recognize that and allow you to do the searching of the heart and the mind and the soul that you want to do. 
just as Father uh, Hosea married Gomer out of this desire to be a, a symbol of your dramatic love to the world, Father, we want to also share your love with the world because as scripture said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him lives according to his plan has eternal life. Lord, lead us into those lives even as we live for you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.